Father, this is a day where we come to worship you. Because it's Sunday, Lord, but we worship you every day of the week. We worship you every minute of the day because you are God. As we see this Christmas season coming up, Lord, as I prayed earlier, Lord, people are going to be going to church. I pray, Lord, that you give all us pastors and leaders messages, Lord, that will bring solid conviction of people's sins on their life so that they might realize that they need a Savior. And you sent the Savior, and he arrived among us many years ago and still lives among us today. Lord, we want the world to know you. We want everyone to know you, not just as an infant in a manger, but as a God who saves us. So, Lord, today, let your Holy Spirit speak to us as we study in your word in Matthew chapter 19. And to you be the glory for it, Lord. We give you the glory. We love you, Lord, with all of our heart. This season just brings joy to many Christians because we know that you have come. We know that you so loved the world, Father, that you gave your only Son, that whoever would put their faith in him will not perish but have eternal life and your kingdom with you. To you be the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated, church. Uh, there's a new audience that just came online, so I'd just like to welcome you. This is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here, and we hope you stay tuned. You know, um, if you're local in South Florida, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, just west of I-95, a quarter mile on the north side of the road. So if you're local, come on by. Every Sunday at 10 a.m., we have a service, and every um, Saturday, uh, we have a men's group that meets here. It is not aired, but it meets here and, uh, and at 9 a.m., and we have a great time there. Our men love you, and it's nice to see men you know, who love you, getting together and worshiping you and serving you and learning of you. So, Lord, so we thank uh, So if you want to come by, uh, please do so, 2810 High Paluxo Road, West Palm Beach, Florida. We're actually in Lantana, so come on by. If Since you're online, you can go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org. You're probably already there, but uh, you can find out our ministries. You can listen to our services from years past. You can find out our beliefs. I'm just going to tell you right now, this is a full gospel church. We believe everything that's written in this word. We know some people, you know, um, may not. <laughs> they stay away from corners, but we've been teaching through the Bible expositionally for, for many years, most of the time, some topical, uh, but we've been, we've been through the Bible, you know, um, it took us nine years one time to get through the Bible. So, um, Anyway, expositional teaching, and we're in chapter 19. This is not a Christmas message. I know I'm dressed in red and, and uh, blue jeans and have a green tie on, but this is not a Christmas message. We're going to have a Christmas message next week and, of course, the week following, which is actually Christmas Day. So um, I want you to remember, we know that we are having a, Christian, a Christmas Day service at our normal time, 10 a.m., so come on by, invite your family, bring them with you, because we want them to know our Savior. Not just at Christmas and Easter, but we want them to walk out of here and serve the Lord every day of their life by giving their 
life to him. So um, anyway, uh, tune in next week. If you're not local, please tune in next week. We have people in New Hampshire. We have people in New Jersey. We have people in uh, different parts of the country that, that listen to us and even in other countries. Um, not many in other countries, but, but uh, we still have people that listen online. We're glad you're there. And uh, it also, if you're online, you can even donate online if the Lord should lead you to give tithes, gifts, and offerings to, to um, your churches or this church. For us here, we don't take an offering. There's boxes in the back should any of you choose to uh, uh, give. We believe, um, you know, that unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. This is our over eight years in this location. Um, let's see, in April, let's see, we're, we're about almost 10 years old since we've started this church, so we thank the Lord for that. Next, next week, I'm going to talk about Christmas is not about the Savior's infancy. It's about his deity. Christmas is not about his, him being an infant, an, an infant in a manger. It is about his deity as God. And we're going to learn that next week as I go into it. But today, we are, we are in uh, chapter 19 of Matthew. It's something we haven't taught on in quite a while because Matthew 19 talks about marriage, divorce, and rewards. I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole chapter today. But... You know, as we look around the world, and especially in America, you know, we need to know what the Lord says about marriage, whether you're married or whether you're going to be married someday, or whether you're, you're engaged right now, you have to know what the Lord has said about marriage. So, let's, let's start in uh, Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to read the first few verses of that, and then we'll... We'll get taken off on that, okay? Chapter 19, this is the New King James Version. Now, I, now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of your hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
And he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. That's the first part of this chapter. I know it has nothing to do with Christmas, but that's okay. You know, we're, we're you know, um, it's the word of God. And God sends forth his word to accomplish what it is. Believe me, I tried to get away from this message this week. I don't know why God kept putting it in my spirit, okay? Because I don't know. You know, a lot of us here aren't even married. Some of us are, are uh, you know, our spouses have passed. Um, some of you are young and looking towards marriage, but it has to be preached. As I said, we preach the whole gospel of God here. Next week, we'll get into Christmas, a Christmas message. But, so the first three verses, let me read them again. Now it came to pass that Jesus had finished these sayings. He departed from Galilee and came to a region of Judea beyond Jordan. That's Perea, the area of Perea, which was under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. Okay? And, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. And the Pharisees came. The multitudes are following, to be, following him to be healed by him and to hear him, but the Pharisees also came to test him. Being used by Satan, just so you know that. They're testing him, being used by Satan. That shows you how far off they are from the truth. And they're, Christ, they're uh, let's see, I say, they're, they're uh, Judaism. They've turned to religion rather than relationship with their God. And saying to him, is it lawful for a, for a man to divorce his wife for any, for just any reason? Is it lawful to just divorce your wife for any reason? The answer is no. It's clear. You know what? There's a lot of no-fault states. Florida is one of them. You can divorce your wife because, or your spouse because he didn't cook dinner on Thursday night. And it's okay. There's no, no barrier. You don't like your spouse anymore. You fell out of love with him. You began to hate him. You can just divorce him. You can go to the judge and say, I hate my spouse, so I want a divorce. And then it's okay. It's not fair. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures are very clear, except for immorality. Sexual immorality. Deuteronomy 24 says this, and I'm going to read it for you, just the first couple verses. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And of course, you know these Pharisees were supposed to know this back and forth. But instead, they did not. It was more about their, themselves. And it's chapter 24. And the first couple verses, first four verses, I'll read them to you. This is the law. This is the Mosaic law, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, boy, these pages are thin. Okay. If anyone is found slain, I'm sorry, it's 21, 24. 
When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. Then she has, when she has departed from the house, she goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her away out of his house, or is, if the latter husband dies who took her as a wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For thus it is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. He's saying here, you know, if there's uncleanness found in her, he could divorce her, which is sexual immorality. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're in Herod's territory, and Herod, you know, is, you know was, was not a good leader, as you well know. This is Herod Antipas. His intentions, their intentions is to get Jesus to say something that will force Herod to have them executed, have him executed. That was their whole goal. They wanted rid of Jesus, as you well know. They got a trap set for him. And they said, you know, tell him, is it lawful? Well, Mark 10.2, let's turn to Mark 10.2, just so you know. Matthew, Mark 10 and verse 2. The Pharisees came asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, what did Moses say? Then they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. This for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So right here we can see, here's the root of divorce. A hard heart. A hard heart is the root of divorce. There's two main thoughts at the time. There's the school of the Rabbi Shema, which strictly um, had a strict approach for adultery only. And then there's the school of the Rabbi Hillel, which lost, you know, um, if she burns your dinner, you can divorce her. So these thoughts are, are, are uh, directly opposite of one another. But the scriptures say in Deuteronomy 24 that unless some uncleanness is found in her, unless some uncleanness is found in her, he may write her a certificate of divorce. Hillel says uncleanness is almost anything. If she got sick, it's not for better or for worse, or richer or poorer. It's, yeah, if she's poor, I'm going to divorce her. If she's, she's not, I'm not rich, I'm going to divorce her. Anything. She got too ugly. She got, gained too much weight. Anything like that. He could divorce her. Women had very little rights in these days, as you well know. This is a loaded question. And they want to get rid of Jesus. 
in a, in a terrible way. They want rid of them badly. So Jesus goes back and answers this question from, from the Word of God immediately. He answered and said to them, okay, in verse 4 through 6, Have you not read that he who, has, who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. That means no devil. That means no mother. That means no father. That means no neighbor. That means nobody. They're one flesh. When you become one flesh, in order to have a divorce, you're actually tearing your flesh apart. I have a study I could teach, which I'm not going to, but 25 consequences of divorce. If you read them over, you should say, there's no way I'm going to do that. Jesus is saying, a male and a female. We're talking about, even today, you know, you talk about uh, marriages of the same sex. I'm sorry, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. That doesn't mean I hate them, or you hate them. It means they're sinful. They're sinning. We love them. We don't love their sin. It's, you know, somebody said, and you probably heard it, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's just the way it is. You know what? You don't like it? Not too bad. God said it. You don't attack me. You attack the Word of God, and you're attacking Jesus and trying to put him to the test. You're saying, hey, Jesus, um, can, can I marry my buddy over here? Can I marry my girlfriend over here, the two women? The answer is no. The answer is no. Does God love you? Absolutely. Absolutely. He came. He sent his son to die for you. Absolutely. He loves you with all of his heart. It can't be denied. And we people, we should love these people that, that, uh, that, that believe that. But we have to be direct and honest with them. It was not that way from the beginning. That's not the way God intended it. Actually, marriage is a miracle. I've done many marriages. You know, marriage is a miracle. There's two people standing before you, uh, different fleshes, and when you pronounce them married, in the eyes of God, they become one flesh. A miracle takes place that you don't even see with your eyes. But it's happened. It's happened because God has united them. And you know what? God gives them the blessing of having children, which is a, a sign of their union together. That they're there right before them is their flesh made, they're made flesh. There are two fleshes which became one. Now there's a child involved. Jesus is telling them God designed marriage to last forever, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do you part. That's just the way it is, and it should be. There's three points of marriage in God's Word. Number one, marriage is a matter of God's design. He specifically designed this. He specifically designed marriage between a man and a woman. And he said it in, 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 the, in the beginning here, in verse 4 of Deuteronomy, you have not read... Have you not read, that's first, first four of, uh, of Matthew 19, God specifically said, has designed marriage, and he said, Have you not read, we, he who made them at the beginning made them both male and female? 
And we need to read the scriptures and take it to heart. Point number two, marriage is a matter of devotion. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Cleave to his wife, the closest relationship possible, cleaving to a wife. You remember, um, I don't remember, know if you remember, but, but Eleazar, a son, a son of Addo, uh, a mighty man of David, he went out to battle against the Philistines in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And he smote so many Philistines that the, the sword in his hand stuck to his the sword stuck to his hand. He no longer was gripping the sword. The, the blood, the, the grip, tight grip, you know, forced that sword to stay in his hand. He wouldn't lay that sword down. And same with us Christians today. You don't lay the sword of God down. Because if you do, you lay your sword down in a battle, you're going to get wiped. You're going to get hit. That's all there is to it. You don't throw down your sword. Your sword is the word of God. You keep your sword. If he would have put his sword down, he would have been a dead man. But all Israel retreated. They were scared to death of the Philistines, but not Eleazar. He stood in that battlefield, and he smote so many Philistines that his sword stuck to his hand. That's what God's saying about marriage. It's to be together forever, stuck to your hand, no matter heaven or hell with hurricanes, tornadoes, adultery, that is not going to destroy that marriage. You should, you should be, be take care of that. Nothing is nothing's going to cause me to, to, to turn against my spouse. Nothing. I don't care if they're sick. I don't care if they, they, uh, they, they you know, they or they, they don't cook well. Who cares? You're going to cleave. You've been made one flesh. Number three, point number three, marriage is a matter of preeminence. Let no man separate what God's doing together. But yet many, many marriages have been separated by other people. I've had people in counseling offices with me where the parents tried to break the couple up that was trying to fight for their marriage. That's insane. That's insane. I had to put them in their place. You know, let no man separate what God's joined together. That's why coveting your neighbor's wife is wrong. You know that marriages in America, and it's around 50%. Do you know that 70% of, of women initiate divorce today? 70%. You know what? 50 years ago, it was the other way around. Women initiate divorce more than Christians. Uh, more than, than men do. That's, that's not good. See, um, we need to, whether you're male or female, you need to obey God's word. I've seen divorce. I've seen the spirit of hate in, in counseling sessions and just talking to people that I've, I mean, it, you can see it in their eyes, the hatred. And it is evil, let me tell you. Hatred is evil. Moses gave men a provision, not a command. See, it's written, Moses gave them a provision, not a command. Verse 7 and 8 of Matthew 19. And they said, they don't like, 
they said to him, because they don't like the answer, then why did Moses command to give the certificate of divorce? Point number one, Moses did not command them. He gave them a way out. And, he, and Jesus is telling us now here, it's because of the hardness of their heart. Their heart is not uh, uh, is hard. It's not pliable. You've, you've read it in Ezekiel, and I'm going to read some passages in Ezekiel chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 19. I will, then I will, let me read the 18th verse. And they will go there and they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there. Then I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Here Ezekiel's, God's telling through Ezekiel that they have a hard heart. In the 36th verse, chapter of Ezekiel, and verse 26, 36, 26. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. It's a hard heart. Even 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 talks about it. Divorce is because of a hard heart. So if you know anybody that is headed that way, try to talk them out of it, according to the Word of God. Jesus set a new standard for men to to obey concerning divorce in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Boy, there's a lot of that going around, isn't there, today? In other words, even if you, a woman or a man separate for a time, they are to remain unmarried. They are to remain out of a relationship. It, being separated is not authentication to, to, you know, commit adultery against your wife or against your spouse. Jesus only acknowledges divorce on the grounds of adultery. Now, there are other, other ways, and I'm going to talk, talk it to them. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. And if the unbelieving depart, let him depart, or, or brother and sister is not under bondage in such case, but God has called them to peace. They're, they're separated, but they need to stay away from a relationship with anybody. There's also concerning, Jesus is talking about, about divorce. There's also the consideration of abandonment. Here's one in 1 Corinthians 7 also. If, if the unbelieving one separates, let him be separated. A brother or a sister is not in bondage in such cases, but God has called them to peace. Well, so we got 
adultery, abandonment, and we have abuse. What about abuse? It's cruelty, ill treatment, etc. And it can be it can be sexually, it can be physically, it can be mentally, it can even be spiritually. The scriptures tell us in Proverbs that um, a good man takes care of his beast, his animal. So a good man or woman will take care of their spouse. You can see the, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, the word of God is saying animals. But if, if a good man loves his animals, he's supposed to love his wife in the same, in, in that way. Matthew 19, verse 10. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're advocating celibacy here. And Jesus speaks on it. There's two truths about celibacy. It's a gift from God. We know a couple in the scripture. You know, Mother Teresa was, was celibate. And she was, it was a gift from God for her. You know, the Apostle Paul was celibate. We had a lot of eunuchs in the Bibles. You know, it is not for everyone. It's not for me. I'm already married. Here's what Jesus says about the eunuchs now. For there are eunuchs which were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there were eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake. Jesus is telling us three different cases of celibacy. Eunuchs born from the womb that way. They have a congenital defect. In other words, there's eunuchs, which were made eunuchs by men. Did you know Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were eunuchs? They were made eunuchs by King Nebuchadnezzar when he took uh, Israel captive. You ever see any, you ever hear anything about Daniel, such a great man of God, you don't see anything about his family because he was made a eunuch by men. You can read that in Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. There were eunuchs who made themselves voluntarily, voluntarily to work for the gospel. Paul says it in his viewpoint in 1 Corinthians 7, 32. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So if you're unmarried, what gee, Paul was saying, you can be more effective. You know, you don't have to say, hey, uh, honey, I got to go to church tonight, or I got to go here and there, you know, you, you can just go. You want to go to Brazil, you go to Brazil. You want to go to China, you go to China. But if you're married, it can hold you back. It can even speed you up in some cases, especially when your wife and you are on the same plane and the kids are grown. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. You know, do what's best for you. You know our, our verse here at Freedom Church. You, for freedom you were set free. You've been set free. And then the 13th verse, you've been called to freedom, brethren, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Yes, Christians are free. But you can't use your opportunity for the flesh. Paul said, said it this way in Romans. He said, what should I say then? Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, may it never be. In other words, you don't abuse God's grace. 
think I passed something up here. Yeah. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. We're going to pass. That was just a quick view of marriage, but this is about living little children. Matthew 19, verse 13 through 15. And the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands upon them and departed from there. You know what? History tells us, and this is really shocking if you ask me, history tells us that Jesus is the only religious leader that had time for children. There's nothing about Muhammad or Allah or Buddha that says anything about children. He's the only religious leader. And we know that, you know, Jesus told us, you know, let the little kids come to me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Mark says his disciples rebuked also the parents of the kids. That's how, how the disciples needed to learn, and we need to learn too. And I believe this is talking in two areas. It's talking about physically children and spiritually a child of God. We meet, when we become a Christian, we spiritually become a child of God, a young child, and we have to grow up just like our flesh has to grow up. We have to grow up in the spirit. Mark and Luke both say that Jesus was angry at the disciples for, for keeping the children back. And it also insinuates that Jesus took them up in his hands. He laid his hands upon them and blessed them. He blessed them. You know what? If I lived in that time, I would love to have been one of those little children that were, were blessed by Jesus. And now we move into some rewards. We got marriage, divorce, eunuchs, and now, you know, a rich young ruler comes to him in verse 16. Let me read it from from the Bible here. Chapter 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to them, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. That is God if you want to enter life. He answered, he said to them, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you will have, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. The rich man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to them, if you want to be perfect, then sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them 
and said to them, With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Here's this rich young ruler. We see, we've learned, heard about him as we read the scriptures all the time. He's young, he's wealthy, he's moral, obviously, he's obviously religious. You know, it says he was a ruler. He obviously had some power. Uh, he had some power in the in the society, and also he's very courageous. He went up against up to Jesus against the Pharisees who were there trying to trap Jesus. But notice, he's rich. He's young. He's moral. He's well. He's um, he's uh, religious. He's courageous. He even has power, but he's empty. Why is he empty? He's empty. Which is why he came to Jesus. He felt there was something wrong. Did you notice that all, all, of, his, all of his traits are horizontal towards men? He has nothing really pointing upward to God. And Jesus is correcting him right here. See, the problem is, this young man has an eye problem, just like Satan had an eye problem. Of course, not as bad. He says, what good things must I do that I may have eternal life? He's earmarked by religion. Earmarked by religion. I can do it myself. That's what religion says. He's missing the relationship. Religion's horizontal. Relationship is missing. People say they know Jesus. They know Jesus. No, they know the horizontal plane. They're good people, according, well, according to God. Um, they're, none of us are good people, according to God. We're visualizing ourselves against God, then nobody's good. But if we compare ourselves to somebody else, yes, we may be pretty good. This is what this guy is doing. He forgot to compare himself to God. He's not holy. He can't be holy. You know, life, eternal life, is on his terms. I can do it myself. Just like Frank Sinatra said, I done it my way. I did it my way. I'll tell you what, if Frank Sinatra did it his way to the end of his life, he's in big trouble right now. Life is not on our terms. It's on God's terms. And it's by grace, through faith you're saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of a result of works that any man should boast. It's abiding in Christ. Jesus, John wrote it in John chapter 15, that Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit on its own. You have to be engrafted into the vine. And the only way you do that is by abiding in Jesus, receiving him as your Savior. Life is on God's terms. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of sin that falls short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Life on God's terms is submitting to Jesus. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you.
a life is on God's terms, is receiving Christ as your Savior. You know it. It's important. Especially this time of year, people should be looking towards God more often. Word of God says he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world did not know him. He came to the earth. This man obviously didn't know who Jesus was at this point. And Jesus is going to tell him. In this verse, he did tell him, and I'll point that out as we go. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. That's his own people, the Jews, and his Jews didn't know him. But as many as did receive him, he gave you the right to become a child of God. You have to receive him. This young man had not received Christ at this point. He's, a relig he's religious, and that's all. There's a lot of religious people in the world today that are headed straight to hell because they do not have the vertical relationship with their father in heaven. It can only come through Jesus Christ and through him alone. They didn't receive him. You know, life is on God's terms, and it's called being obedient. God doesn't want your sacrifices of bulls and goats. He wants your obedience, because it's better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. This young man has been obedience, but he's still missing something inside. He's empty because he has no vertical relationship with God. To be saved, or to be uh, have a relationship with God, you have to surrender. You have to surrender. Because it does say in Philippians, I'm going to turn there, Philippians chapter um, 2, verse 9 and 10. Therefore God, having highly exalted him and giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, and that every knee shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Listen, you have to surrender. Every knee is going to bow anyhow someday before God. It's commanded. You can even bow because you've received him and know him as your king and your savior and your Lord and your God. Or you can bow before him by force and that he's God, but still you don't have a relationship and you're headed to a place prepared for the devil and his angels and not, not God. Some of those things probably a little hard to swallow for people who have never heard it before. But here's what Philippians says in the prior verses than what I just read. He said, Let this mind be in you that it was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it to be robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and made and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedience to death, even death on the cross. Remember I said earlier, Christmas isn't about a baby in a manger. 
It's about Jesus' deity. And that's what Jesus is going to show this young ruler, you know, what, you know, what he's talking about. So in verse 17, he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but no one is good but one. That is God. You see what Jesus is trying to do? He's trying to flip him to a relationship with God. Here's God in the flesh standing right before him. He doesn't recognize him. He recognizes him as a good man, a good prophet even, even a, a, a prophet, a healer, but he doesn't recognize his deity. And he needs to know his deity. Jesus is not saying uh, that, Jesus is not denying, I should say, that he is good, he is he is neither good or God. Jesus is actually calling this man to attention to the fact that he is God. See, he has an eye problems. Good works and obedience are fruits of you knowing God. He has some fruit. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus is not saying you can be saved by the law. He's not saying that here. It sounds like it, but he's not. Jesus is setting him up to show him his need for God and no more eye problem. Besides that, you know, Jesus is talking about the Ten Commandments. And since there's 603 more commandments... He better be obedient to them also. Here's what his question was in verse 16. What good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? He's saying, which ones? Which ones? So Jesus answers in verse 18 and 19. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear witness against, you shall not bear, be or bear a false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love the Lord your God as yourself. Notice, those are all horizontal relationships, aren't they? The first five commandments are by God. You shall have no other gods before me. But he's, his, he, these are just the last five Commandments: Don't murder. Don't honor your parents. Commit a, don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Love your neighbor. All horners on in relationship. So Jesus is saying, why do you call me good? Well, he wants, he's trying to point to him and tell him who he is. But the kid, I don't know at this point if he's, he's got it at this point. Verse 20, the young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? See, he's empty. He's lacking. He knows he's empty. Religion will keep you empty. Relationship with God will fill you up to the brim. And you've got to have the love man, but you've got to have the love God. Not with just words that come out of your mouth, but with actions, obedience. As I say all the time, 
Billy Graham said, come just as you are, but you better not leave as you were because you should be changed when you walk out that door. Now you have a vertical relationship with the Lord, your God. He has horizontal religion, not a vertical relationship, and he is empty because God the Father is missing. And here's the Son. You know, Isaiah 9, chapter 6 says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Jesus didn't say a child. He's a son of God. And we have to recognize him as that, to have not a religion, but relationship with him. And you know what goofs up God's relationship is with what men used to, what can I say? What's used is to break up relationship with men and God is, is actually religion, but it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's denominations. Each denomination fights with the other denomination over things that aren't, aren't really true. But when you get right down to every Christian denomination actually believes that Christ came, he died, he's buried, and he is risen. But we fight over different things. In some churches, you fight over what color to paint the walls, uh, should we give out coffee free or should we sell it? You know, um, um, this group wants that and that group wants this. And they, they get upset at each other and they split. So now they're, they, you know, they still have a relationship with God, hopefully, because they established that by receiving Christ. But maybe they don't. But religion, you know, denominations mess everything all up. You ever heard people who always say, well, I'm Protestant. They say, well, I'm Catholic. Well, well, I'm Presbyterian. You know, I'm this, I'm that. I'm Lutheran. I'm Methodist. You know what? Bottom line, we're Christian religions. We believe that Christ came, died, buried, and is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Jesus points out why he's empty in verse 21 and 22. And he says to him, if you want to be perfect, that means whole and complete, not empty. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he's saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Listen, Jesus isn't saying, if you want to, if you want to, be, you want to be spirituality and have a relationship with me, that you have to sell, you sell everything you have. He's not saying that. You've got to be willing to do it. Come, follow Jesus. Put him number one. Jesus isn't saying, um, that his possessions have possessed him. He isn't saying that. A lot of people say, even one of the men on Saturday, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, he said, you show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your first love is. You know, because what you value the most could be there. Is he okay with the second half of the law? Because he's failing on the first part of the law, which is the relationship with God, the first five commandments. Which is the first commandment, which I mentioned already, is you shall love, you shall have no other gods before me. 
You can come to the altar and you can be rich. You're rich when you leave, but now you just move from, from putting your money first place, you put God first place. That's all Jesus is really saying to this guy. He's guilty of idolatry. He put his possessions before God. When I came to God, my checkbook balance remained the same. It didn't change. I still looked the same. I still weighed the same. But my insides changed. Now I have a relationship. You have a relationship with God. And that's what God, Jesus is trying to get to with this man. You've got to put him first. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm learning that. I never thought I would have to go through it. But, you know, me, well, me, me more than Liz, struggles with this. And I'm going to read it, Matthew chapter 10. And these generation, this generation that is before me, I am so upset about the generation of people that have followed my generation. Matthew 10, verse 35. Do not think, this is Jesus talking. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will save it. All Jesus is saying is put me first. Put me first. This young man had not done that. He had not done that. Listen. You put God first. Today, move from Jesus taking the last place in your heart and put him the first place in your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. He answered his own question there. Young man, why do you call me good? There's nobody good but God. In other words, good, Jesus is God. Very simple. You know what? By coming to the altar and receiving Christ as your Savior does not mean you have to go sell your house. It doesn't mean you have to give up all your possessions. It means you have to move them from top priority to bottom priority. And that's it. And then you have that relationship with the living God. No longer are you in a religious church. No longer are you religious the Pharisees and scribes were religious, and they wanted rid of Jesus. No longer is, is it that. It is now a relationship you would have with God. You have a horizontal relationship with men and with your neighbors and with your friends and with your family, but they come under God. And then you have a relationship with God that lasts forever. And then Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But, and 
And he says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. I don't care if it's that needle gate in Jerusalem or really an eye of a needle. All things are possible with God. That's what he says. How many things are possible with God? Come on, let me hear it. All things. So don't, you know what? We pray over people that are sick. We pray over people that are blind. We pray over people that have diseases. But all things are possible with God. So let's keep praying and keep on believing by putting Christ in first place. If any of you haven't put Christ there, whether you're over the internet or whether you're here, you know, you need to do it now. The world's getting tough out there. The Lord's standing at the door. I'm, I'm sure of it. I think he's standing there. I think he's standing there by that white salem saying, Father, can I go get my bride yet? Just like you, if you're getting married, can I go get my bride? That's the way I felt when, you know, I don't I think I told Liz this, but when Liz and I were married, when people lined up to congratulate you coming out, I couldn't even speak. I tried to get words out of my mouth, but my heart was just full. And I couldn't speak. And people said to me, don't worry, Joe, I know what you're saying. That's the way we should have for being Jesus coming back. You know, come back, Lord. My heart's just saturated and hungry for him to come back. And don't lose that thought, because he's right at the door. Behold, I stand at the dark of at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him and he with me. And if you're supping with Jesus, you have a relationship with him. All you got to do is ask him into your heart. You're a sinner. There's no one good but God. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Tell God, confess your sins. Don't be sorrowful. Godly sorrow leads to repentance unto salvation. So you have to be sorrowful repentance, which means you're going to turn around, go the other direction. And then it leads to salvation. That means you're going to heaven, and we'll see you there. So let's pray. Father God, today I pray that people's hearts were opened up, especially to the last part of this message, Lord. We weren't going to skip a bunch of scriptures just to get to this part, Lord, but we had to so that, so that uh, we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. So Lord, today... If there's anybody out there that, that uh, any audience or, or over the internet that, that needs Christ, Lord, speak to them and let them, uh, let them know that it's you. And they, they may, may they invite you into their heart and have a relationship with you on a vertical plane and also the relationship horizontal with men. And to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Next week, Christmas message. We will have church on Christmas. I love you all. God bless.